This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Kyle Hauk is out today. My man is sick. I don't know what's going around down here, but I had it last week, and I think I'm just now finally getting over it. And he has got the nasal congestion. It's just, it's just that crud, man. I mean, it's it's the worst thing ever. But got Mr. Aaron Gordon with us today. Thanks for having me. Let's do it. I'll do my best From, Kyle voice, but I forgot to put a hat on. Hold on. Well, I mean, <laughs> you got you got the beard, and I I told him I told him when I messaged him like, hey, Aaron Gordon's gonna fill in for you. Can't wait to see how many people get the two of you confused. So, <laughs> but we have got an absolutely electric guest for you today, Mr. John Livesey. He is the author of the book. The sale is in the tale. And John got to me through my friend, Brian Ahern, who has been on a million and a half insurance podcast, speaks all mm-hmm. over the place, written multiple books on influence. And we've had him here on Power Producers before. And he's always kind to reach out to me when he finds somebody he thinks needs to come on here so that our audience can enjoy what they have to say and what they're doing. So with that being said, John, it's great to have you, man. Look forward to to the next little bit of conversation. As we open up, why don't you give our audience kind of the 10,000-foot overview of your backstory and and how we got to here, other than the fact Brian introduced us? Yes. Well, thanks, David and Aaron. I have always been passionate about storytelling. I have a background in advertising. I find that such an interesting world of how a story moves us emotionally. And I used to sell advertising for Condé Nast. And I remember the clients would say, you know, um, don't come in here and talk about numbers. We've already done the research. And half of the salespeople would be like a deer in headlights. And I realized whoever told the best story was the one that got the sale. And so my book, as you were kind enough to mention, is a story about storytelling. It's a business fable about a salesperson struggling to get out of a rut because they've only been pushing numbers out. And someone introduces them to the concept of turning case studies that have been around forever into case stories and how that changes their whole connection to buyers. That was a mouthful, man. That's interesting. So, I mean, I've always been somebody who I'm in a complex industry. Let's call it what it is. The insurance industry is not something that you can mm-hmm. just walk into a an office or a conference room and start spouting off forms and endorsements <laughs> and getting people to understand what you're talking about. Is that a fair statement, Aaron? hundred percent. That's where and I was so- going to go also. Yeah. And so I think that if you, you know, if you're really going to be good at what we do, which is convincing or persuading people to buy from us because Mm -hmm. they believe us, like us and trust us, you have to be able to find common ground in such a way that you can relate sort of what the problem is that they're facing, what your solution is, but wrap it up in an example that you know, is most of the times in in my situation, a story from sometime in my 20 year career, Mm -hmm. because at this point I've seen a lot, right? I I mean, early on, I didn't have the ability. If I told stories, I would be 
telling stories, right? I'd be completely making them up. But, no. you know, Aaron, what do you think? I think the, the other interesting thing about our industry, and I'd love to hear what John has to say about this, is that we insurance, it's complex, like David said, but it's also very esoteric in that most of the people that I run into and that we've run into either had one of two things happen. Either they think that insurance is something that's a necessary evil and they've never really interacted with it mm. on a claim basis, or the reason why they're talking to us is because something has gone awry and they, they the bad story has happened. And yet for us, we have to not only tell the story of what we're doing, but also be able to explain basically what insurance is to people who are 90% of the time, David, I, I think you'll agree with this, not really interested in talking to us about insurance because nobody likes to talk about insurance. So how do we make it tangible in something that hopefully for most people is esoteric because you don't really want to collect on it. So right. Yeah, that's no, where the story is. Absolutely. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that when most people have claims, I say most, the majority, I'm not going to say it's like 90%, but probably above 50% of the time you get a call from somebody who's experiencing a claim. It's the first time they've ever been through that, mm. you know? And so if you don't prepare them for what to expect at the front end, by the time you get there, it's like, you know, it's a little too late to explain how insurance works. Now they just want to make sure they're covered. So talk a little bit about, you know, how you, how you evolved into the storyteller. Sure. Well, part of it was having an advertising background. And I worked for an agency where we created commercials for movies coming out on home video back in the day when Blockbuster was around. And we could reposition the movie if it hadn't done well in the movie theaters and get people to want to rent or eventually buy it on video. And so I thought, oh, a whole hour and a half, two hour movie can be completely repositioned uh, from something that's maybe considered a drama into even a little bit of a comedy depending on what 30 seconds you use and what music you put to it and what the voiceover says. So that's really where I honed the storytelling part of my career. And then um, being someone who was out in the field selling and being told, don't come in and talk about numbers. I realized when I was talking to uh, Lexus uh, that they wanted a story about how this launch that they were doing of a particular model how we were going to come up with a marketing idea if, if we were selected to get the advertising. And so it was about taking them on a journey of we're going to create something so unique that's going to tug at some emotional heartstrings to get people to emotionally want to connect with the brand because that was one of their challenges. They felt that people were buying BMWs and Mercedes emotionally, but Lexus had been more of an intellectual purchase. And so they wanted to come up with some ideas and events that would make people feel emotionally connected to their brand, like the you know thrill of driving that BMW had. Theirs was much more of an intellectual concept. So that's really what has enabled me to become a sales keynote speaker. And I've spoken to insurance companies, um, Anthem Insurance and then even Hub, talking about how do we take these case studies of, you know, here's an example of what we have done for other clients and turn them into stories that people see themselves in. And so what I found, David and Aaron, is that when you tell a story, it should be three things. It should be clear, it should be concise, and it should be compelling. Because if you go on and on and on, nobody's going to remember the story. And if you confuse them with a bunch of acronyms, they say no. And so when you tell a story that they see themselves in, then they want to go on the journey with you. And the big mistake I see people making is they make themselves the hero of the story and your client is the hero. And you're more like a Sherpa helping them navigate this complex world in your case of insurance. What policy should they buy? Um, and you're painting a picture of what I see is you're really buying peace of mind when you buy insurance. Well, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned two things in there. You mentioned coming along on the journey and you mm -hmm. mentioned a unique story, the Lexus example. Yes. So drilling it down to insurance where obviously everything is somewhat unique, but also somewhat generic mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. Should storytelling be driven by the uniqueness of the client and what they need or mm. by the real world examples? It's not, you, we can't give specific examples to a specific company that we're just talking to, right? So how do you marry unique and experience? Well, I think uh, if we start to think of our brain, 
like a jukebox or a playlist, depending on what age you're in. I think David and I know what jukeboxes are. You probably only know what a playlist is. Aaron. I've seen it on eBay. <laughs> um, you know how you push a certain number and a, num- uh, a code on a jukebox to get a certain song and a playlist, same thing. So if you, we think of our brain like a playlist or a jukebox, that instead of playing music, we play specific stories. So I encourage people to have multiple stories depending on the different avatars they talk to. So if you are talking to um, a family about getting, you know, a certain coverage in case something happens to them, then you want to have that particular story ready to go. If you're talking to someone who's buying insurance for their employees for healthcare, then you need that particular story. So having customized stories that, again, that people see themselves in, they sound like, God, that sounds a lot like my situation. I've got two kids or I have 10 employees, whatever that is. And that's then how you bring them on the journey, right? Exactly. In that. Yes. Do you want to hear an example of a case story instead of a case study? Sure. I think that might bring it to life. Um, well, I was working with Olympus Medical and they make take the camera technology and turn it into products. They make scopes that doctors use. And they said, you know, this scope makes the surgeries go 30% faster. We don't understand why people aren't buying it. And I said, well, you're pushing out facts and figures and numbers and people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic. So now after asking them some question, I crafted this little story that imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was down at Long Beach Memorial using this equipment when he could go out to the patient's family an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever had to wait for someone you love to come out of surgery, you know, every minute feels like an hour. And he put them out of their waiting misery an hour earlier and said, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer and they're going to be fine. And then he turned to the rep and said, you know, this is why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that rep tells that story to another doctor at another hospital who sees himself in the ho- in that story and says, that's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. And the client said, gosh, that gives us chills. Not only we're not telling a story like that, but it never occurred to us to make a patient's family a character in the story. And you see the storytelling technique where I pulled you in by saying, if you've ever had to wait for someone you love. And even if you haven't, you can imagine it or you probably know somebody. That- right. That, I can imagine that you can imagine that more than me being the doctor in the operating room. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of pulling people into your story and the doctor's the hero, not the rep selling the product. <laughs> yeah, I think another way that we use, uh, you know, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, John, and, and you're welcome to correct me right in the middle of the podcast if you okay. want. But um you know, I think about how when we're going out more on a maybe an initial new business call to open an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my agency does a lot with workers comp. We do a lot with cyber liability. And the reason why is because there's data around both of those yep. coverage lines. And it makes it very easy for us to benchmark where somebody is relative to their peers in their industry group. But it also gives us a pretty good ability to be able to triangulate the things that aren't happening in those operations. And so, you know, I I can't say that I've actually ever sat down and and thought out like a well-crafted story to bring people in. But, you know, I do talk a lot about things like, you know, the experience modification factor for workers' compensation is a big deal. Um, one of the things that we do is we audit it because, and, I, and this is not my story, by the way, I'm setting the table for you. Okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm a little bit smoother than that, <laughs> but, but you know, one of the things that we do is we will audit that. Um, we will audit the experience mod to make sure that uh, it's even accurate. And then, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with how the claims data is reported to NCCI, which is the governing body that calculates it and all of that. And basically all of that table setting is to let you know that when we go in to engage with somebody and it's six months before renewal, we know that if that was our client, that that person would have had a a mid-year claims review. Mm -hmm. Okay. And at five months, typically sometimes four months before their policy renews, their preliminary experience modification factor has been calculated and pushed out to NCCI. So one of the things that I think that I have done a pretty good job at 
over the course of my sales career is I will tell stories about um, just very matter of factly, like it's normal. It's not a sales thing, but I will tell stories about how a client has uh, about a client's experience going through that mid-year claims review or whatever else. So, you know, instead of actually bringing somebody in, you know, emotionally, I would probably say something like, man, mid-year claims reviews, what a nightmare. You know, when we went through and did our client's mid-year claims uh, review last month, prepping for the preliminary mod to come out next month, it was amazing how much opportunity we found to be able to help save money proactively before that mod was calculated. So ultimately, when the mod was released and the renewal quotes came out, we had a much better solution for them financially. And they were able to take that and invest in better technology, which made the workplace better or better pricing for their clients or better benefits contribution for the employees, anything along those lines. We give them something that they could take the savings. Number one, we want them to assume that we do this with everybody and it's something they're not getting, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know that my peer group is likely not doing a six-month claims review. Um, then we want to sort of talk about what the process looked like so that they know that it wasn't overly painful. But we also want to let them know there's a positive outcome. Believe it or not, most clients, and I'm interested in both of your feedback on this, but most clients, yeah, they like to hear about saving money, but it actually hits them harder when you talk about the things that you could do if you had that money that that client was able Ah. to save, right? Yes. So they could give better wages. They could offer better benefits. They could control pricing. And I've actually used that in a more forceful manner uh, when somebody challenged me for how I was going to be able to impact their operation. You know, and and I just basically said, look, you know, I represent 47% of the service contractors in the Tampa Bay market. And if you ever want market share, then you probably need to do the things they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the reason that they, they have market share is because they have lower pricing. The reason they don't have turnover and have employees is because they're able to offer higher wages and provide better benefits contributions. And the reason why they're able to do that is because they understand that total cost of risk is actually more important than insurance premium because insurance premium is only about that much of total cost to risk. So they're focusing on the bigger nut, frees up more cash for them to be able to make good business decisions. And nobody ever thinks about that when you're talking to an insurance agent because the the average agent that goes in has one job and one job only, and that's to sell you a policy and move on to the next person Mm -hmm. who's willing to buy insurance from them. They're not going to be consultative. They're not going to help you relate to what other people in their industry are doing. Um, You know, but if, if you want people to have the mentality of trying to keep up with the Joneses, you kind of got to tell them what the Joneses are doing. And I think also the predictability end, we do a lot of that, which is your, your ability to predict when you have the right advisor, you can predict what your insurance costs are going to be. And therefore whatever savings there are, will be more consistent, whether it's savings or not, right? Saving, saving 20,000 this year, but giving it back next year, doesn't help anybody. So the ability to paint that picture of the predictability and the long-term success with the longevity, you know, David's been doing this longer than I have, but I think that that's, mm-hmm. that's an opportunity to tell a story of long-term success because well, that's where people focus on. You're certainly speaking my language, Aaron, by saying paint the picture. That's the first thing I teach people when you tell a story is to paint the picture with exposition of who, what, where, when, like you're a journalist. And David, to your point, if you're the only person going in and your competitors are basically seen as a commodity and drowning in a, a sea of sameness, but you're the one telling a story of how you helped another client retain and attract top talent in a time of shortages of good staff. And that's going across almost every industry I've ever interacted with. There's a shortage of everything, not just workers in restaurants, but actual skilled labor, architects, lawyers, you name it that you're able to give them a competitive edge by saving them money and the workman's comp and seeing the big picture. Well, now you're telling them, making them look like a hero to their boss, basically. And if they're the boss, then you're giving, you're tapping into what's keeping them up at night, uh, you know, losing people to uh, getting a better offer or higher salary. But now I can give my people, you know, higher salaries because you've showed me a way to evaluate uh, my workman's comp in a way that I never even thought was possible. Then you're telling a story that makes you memorable and pulls people in to want to talk to you. Agreed. Aaron, who's the best storyteller that we know? Scott Howell. A hundred percent. Not even a second, second guess, right? 
Hmm. That's probably one of the reasons why Scott's so, so successful and engaging is because this guy literally has a story for everything, everything. (laughs) I mean, I do too, to a certain degree. I think that comes with age, but uh, you know, I also think that storytelling is, is a lost art to a certain degree too, because you know, you look back at the at the generations of the past, and I mean, I think that it, we we always get to an interesting, an interesting crossroads in life where you get to be about my age, or maybe even a, probably a little bit younger than me, maybe like 10, 15 years younger than me now, when I was in my early thirties. And old people start to get on your nerves, right? Uh, get uh, out of my way! Get out of my way in traffic, you know, or ah, uh, we got to go to grandma's house again. I was never that way, though, right? I mean, I know a lot of my friends were, but, you know, I've always been very interested in the people in the generations, especially like my my grand my grandmother who passed my most my grandmother who passed away most recently a couple years ago was the last remaining of all of my grandparents. And she was in her early 90s when she passed away. And, you know, it's one of those things where. Yeah, you know, I probably if I if I really was worried about what was if I was selfish, then I wouldn't want to spend time with her. Right. You know, if I was worried about going and making a bunch of money or, I, you know, if I, it, honestly, if, I, if my moral compass wasn't right, <laughs> then I probably would find a whole bunch of other things to do aside from sitting and having conversations with my grandmother. But instead, I can remember even being a, a teenager I just sit and listen for hours to mm. all of the stories that she had and the thing, the things that she had gone through and in, in, in the, the technological, I mean, my gosh, man, 90 years old. I, I don't even know how you can even comprehend the change that you've seen over the course of your lifetime, mm-hmm. because I'm not even, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit more than half of that age. And I know how much I've seen change in my lifetime. I mean, I'm, I'm of the generation that um, we didn't have the internet when I went to college. I watched the internet get built, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think to a certain degree that helps me because I, I can identify trends and see opportunities, but it's it's just always really, really interesting to listen to the older generation who grew up with out is, you know, the TV wasn't around. We didn't have movies to watch. We didn't have music to stream. They literally sat at the dinner table as families, yes. told stories, talked Blasphemy. about their day. And the connection there, I feel, was just so much stronger back then. Now you got to tap your kid on the shoulder three or four times and get them to take their earbuds out or to take their head away from the PlayStation when they're playing it just to ask a simple question or tell them dinner's ready. <laughs> I think that I think the genera- generational piece, though, I mean, it's nostalgic to a certain degree, but I don't know why people wouldn't continue that legacy because to me, it's one of the most effective ways to communicate with people possible. I can tell a story about an insurance claim and how it ultimately was resolved, whether it be positive or negative Mm -hmm. and get the intended result a whole lot easier than if I were just to go through and explain policy language and say, this is what happens in the event of a claim, blah, 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 blah. Nobody's going to get that, but everybody's going to understand that Mrs. Jenkins house burnt to the ground, you know, Mm. or or whatever, you know, I'll tell you something hilarious about storytelling. And that is, you know, David, one day I hope you get to meet my father, but he's, he's a master and he's been doing this for my father's 82, John, just so you know, he's been doing this for over 60 years. And Mm. one of the hilarious things that's happened in my career is our longest running commercial client, has been my father's client for 55 years. So the kids now that sit in the in the meetings and I literally grew up with my father I and love we it. have a story bingo, literally a story oh. bingo where when we get together for the renewal meetings, we all sit on one side of the table and every single time he brings up a story that we've all heard a hundred times, even them being the clients, we go, oh, there it is. When is he going to talk about Uncle John? When is he going to oh, talk funny. about the, you know, the, the champagne? And, but, but what's amazing about that is that forget about me, who's his kid. Our clients remember joke about that, right? Yeah. And I, I can almost guarantee that they don't remember, David, no offense to you, their experience mod from year to year. Right, no. But they like, remember that my father's going to come in and talk about where their Uncle Sam sat in the office versus where their father sits? It's got to do something. I don't, I, it's hard to put your finger on, but it's got to do something, right, John? 
It does. I mean, we're wired for storytelling all the way back to when we lived in caves. People told stories by fire and painted them in the caves. It's a different part of our brain that gets activated. And that's why it's easier to remember a story than a statistic. And that's what you're tapping into some kind of feeling that goes with that story that makes you remember. And sometimes people love to hear the same stories more than once as children love to have the same stories read to them more than once. So when you're telling a story and you tapped into this, David, when you said, I need to paint the picture and have the stakes be somewhat high. And if you're going to embrace becoming a better storyteller, the two tips I have for you are make sure that the problem you're describing in the story is something we care about, a house burning down, somebody being sued for something and they didn't have the coverage they needed. All of those stakes or in the world, you said cybersecurity is one of your specialties, correct? Yep. So that, I mean, emails, <laughs> access to health information that's private, bank information. I mean, those are ripe for stories that have high stakes. So when we have a story with high stakes and we're telling it where people could see themselves being in that situation, then you're the Sherpa, you're the Yoda in Star Wars. It's going to help them get to the other side of that challenge. And then finally, I want to give people a tip on storytelling, which is there's four parts, the exposition, which we talked about, the who, where, what, the description of the problem, obviously a solution. And here's the secret sauce, guys, the resolution. What is life like for your client after you've provided them a solution? And David, you were great at giving an example of that. They then took that savings and spent it on giving their workers higher wages. Uh, the Olympus medical story I was telling, it was the doctor saying, this is why I became a doctor. And the story didn't end with the patient being okay from the surgery and the equipment. So when we have a resolution, what is life like for them? Or what are they using the savings for to make their company, their employees feel welcome and appreciated and seen? Now you really have a strong story that sticks with people. Absolutely. So where do you think people miss the mark? Well, first of all, a lot of people just think that, everything is bought with logic and they don't understand that there's an emotional component. So the first awareness is I need to become a storytelling. And if you feel like, oh yes, I like to tell stories, but you don't have that three C's I talked about. Your story is confusing. The confused mind always says no, the bunch of, it's not concise enough. So you go, people go, oh, this, does this story have a point? It just rambles on and on and on because it's not following any kind of structure that I just gave. And then you people lose interest or you're boring people with a boring story. There's no nothing at stake in the story. And then finally, if you're not having some emotional hook in that compelling part of it, that's where they miss the mark. But the good news is, unlike having to be a gifted athlete or uh, a Broadway singer, you don't have to have this innate talent. It is a, something we can all learn and get better at. And of course, once you start having stories where people see themselves in, that's the turning point. That's the tipping point. And isn't it also an easier skill to get a way to get out of discomfort when you can tell a story? Because everyone isn't, even if you're not a natural storyteller, everybody likes to talk about something that happened to them or something that experienced in their life. It's much easier to do that than try to sell a spreadsheet or a comparison for a lot of people, right? In the sales. Yes. Place. And storytelling allows us to paint a picture of what the future could be like. Like I work with people that I said, you know, I was trying to get Speedo when they were launching a line of sportswear to advertise with me when I was selling a fashion magazine. They said, we're going to go with a, a fitness magazine. And so I said two words I love people to have in their toolbox. What if? Because when you say those two words, you start imagining a different, well, what if we treated the sportswear like it was high fashion and had a modeling show around a swimming pool and you could invite Michael Phelps. He's on your payroll. And I start painting a picture of what life could be like if they ran a sportswear line in a fashion magazine, you start getting them to imagine a different future. And it's a nice way to respond to an objection or a no. So I've got a question for you because my mind works different. I mean, in most way, you know, in most things that I think about, I just look at it from a completely different perspective. And one of the things 
one of the things that I always do, and I don't know why, other than that, just I visualize the end result and work backwards from that. Mm, okay. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a great example. Okay. Well, I thought I was. <laughs> uh oh. The cover of my most recent book is a great okay. example of that. Okay. Yes. Um, shoot, I don't have any of them in here. I thought, I, oh, here it is right here. I knew I just got done reading the Audible. So here's where it is, okay? Yeah. The title of the book's The Dirty 130, and on the cover, I'm sitting there in a shirt and a tie, sweat through my shirt with dirt all over my face, all over the outside of it. I still have my glasses on like because <laughs> I'm, I'm professional, right? And I've got tattoos on my forearms that have their own meaning, right? So people look at that. The image is dramatic. The image is somewhat impactful. I envisioned... I mean, that is exactly what I saw in my head Love it. before I ever started to try and create it. So how did I create it? Well, I created it by getting up one day and deciding I was going to make the cover to the book. And so I put on a dress shirt with my shorts and I went out and I cut the grass <laughs> until I sweat through my shirt and I wasn't dirty enough. Uh so I had my kids come out. And, and I had my son hose me down so I was wetter. And then oh. my both my son and my daughter picked up the debris from the yard that we had swept into a pile and stood in my driveway and what threw it at me, me, right? Yeah. They must have loved it. How old were your kids? Of the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ethan at the time was 10 and Caroline was eight. Oh, my, yeah, wife, my wife videotaped the whole thing. Great. And so... I actually, when I launched the book, one of the ways that I drove people to the website was by dangling the carrot. If you want to see the video and the story behind the cover okay. and what everything means, go here. We put the video up and I actually narrated this thing and I had the video of my kids mm. throwing the stuff and all of that. But I, I look at over the course of my career on the creative side, anything I've done from a marketing branding standpoint, yes. anything like that, I think about what, what's the end result going to be? How do I work backwards to get there? Because to me, that's the real story, right? Yes. People want to know that they, they, they see the end result and the image has some impact, but you really solidify them remembering that and feeling a connection to you. Yep. If you show them the how and the why, and, I mean, I think it goes back to, to a lot of how I uh, um, conduct myself in sales appointments, because I feel like a lot of times salespeople are willing to give the what, mm. but they never take the time to give the why behind it. Correct. And it doesn't matter if you're selling a product to somebody. It doesn't matter if you're raising a child. It doesn't matter if you are a supervisor that's training a new employee. If you can take the time to give the why, and then even use a story to solidify the one time you didn't do it the right way, That's right. you know, and all of that, you're always going to, I mean, I just look at it. You're going to have a much stronger connection, but it's sort of counterintuitive, especially with the example in the training, because you feel like it's taken you so much longer to slow down and explain the why and give, you know, the, the real life example or story behind it to make it stick that you don't realize you're actually make creating a lot of freedom of your time moving forward because you don't have to repeat yourself over and over and over again. So I think that people naturally associate a situation with a story. Mm -hmm. And if you, if they don't have a story for the situation they're in and you provide them with one, oh. then it's done your job. What you're doing there is what a lot of TV shows and movies are doing now. I don't know if you notice when you watch the show on HBO, they always have a behind the scenes look after the episode. People love, and you took us behind the scenes of the making of the cover. And if anybody's been around children, whether you are an uncle or ha an aunt or have them yourself, you know, kids love to get messy. And the fact that they've been given permission to make their parent messy, well, that's just heaven on a stick. So all of that gives us a sense of who you are as a dad, as a, as a, a husband, we're in your world and we've gone on that journey with you. So now we really feel connected to your brand and the book is doing that. And what you can do in a sales situation, I know when I'm being interviewed, it's usually between me and one or two other speakers. I ask, I future pace them. Like you said, reverse engineering that. I say, so let's pretend it's a week after the event and we're going to have a call and recap how it went. What would have to have happened at that event for you to feel like 
I was the best speaker you've ever had. What would, pe- what would the audience be doing and saying, uh, changing their tune, telling stories they never used to tell before? And they start picturing me as the speaker and we're having this conversation after the event, your future pacing people. And you can do this with a job interview. Um, you can do it with selling a product, whether it's insurance or anything else where you say, let's imagine we've worked together for a year or six months and start telling that story. How would it feel if you had extra money to give your wages to your best employees, right? I feel thrilled. My employees would feel thrilled. We'd have more productivity. All of that is a great example of what you just described with the making of the book cover. Aaron, you look like you were ready to say something. No, I'm just, I I feel like people don't realize in the younger generation, like, honestly, I was thinking like David is so extra because that is like, you know, obviously, (laughs) uh, you know, that is everything about David, but like the even when we feel like people are tuning out when we're telling that story, mm-hmm. it's registering. And that's like, I'm just thinking about all the people that say, cut to the chase, don't tell the story. Mm. And maybe it's just because I'm a rebel by nature. <laughs> but it's just, I feel like the best speakers that I hear, even if people feel like they went at 20 minutes over, you remember more of what they said. That's right. Even Even the annoyed millennial. That's and your what story can be concise. It doesn't have to. It can be. But a saying, even if the story. person's like, even if the yeah. person walks away saying that story was unnecessary, mm. that's what they're thinking as they as they exit. They still the remembered the story exactly. <laughs> the next day they're gonna remember the story, which was yeah. so. Yep. That's just them being annoyed or whatever. But like yeah. that's, I think what we can all tend to forget. Not that you guys do this, but I see this a lot with clients who hire me. Is that at the end of the day. People buy, as you said earlier, from people they connect with. We're selling ourselves first. And I was working with an architecture firm and the stakes were so high, it was going to be a billion dollars to the firm that won to renovate the airport in Pittsburgh. And they were in the final three and the client said to them, we're going to hire the firm we like the most because you could all do the work. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the final three. And they called me in because they said, we're not sure how to even start with this. Hmm. And I said, well, guess what? The team slide is the most important slide then. And we were talking about what you're going to say on that team slide. And they were just talking about their backgrounds. I go, let's create a story of origin here. Bob, what made you get into architecture? Well, I was 11 years old. I played with Legos. That's what made me think I wanted to do this. Now I have a son that's 11. I still play with him and the Legos. I'm still passionate about this. Great. Sue, where were you before here? Uh, I was in the Israeli army. I'm like, okay. I bet you learned about focus and discipline. And since if this team wins this project, you're in charge of making sure this thing comes on time and under budget, you have the perfect background. That's what made them win the deal because they said, we feel like we got to know them a little bit. And that's the same thing as insurance, right? I mean, David, obviously you have a secret sauce. I have a secret sauce, but in the end of the day, it's all about differentiating because the products are available. So how do we? Tell I think story? the other thing is too, man. When you tell stories, you 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 appear to be more authentic, and people are going to relate to that more. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there are probably people out there. No, not even probably. There are people out there that are far more technic- technically competent than what I am in insurance. I mean, margin of error is not huge, but still, there are people out there that are better than me. But what I would argue is there are probably few that are more genuine at the point of sale because, and I say this all the time, right? CFOs watch Tommy boy too. You know, (laughs) just because you're the CFO of a company doesn't mean that you don't have a sense of humor. It doesn't mean that you're not human. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're not going to chuckle at a story or get emotional, you know, if it's something that's pulling at your heartstrings. The, the, The problem is the salespeople don't realize that because they can't accept that the person they're sitting across from is the same as them other than you're sitting on the other side of the table right now. So if you can get it through your head that this is just another one of the guys or she's just, you know, she's just like I am. We both yep. graduated around the same time or whatever else. And, you know, I'm big with movie, you know, movie quotes or, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. And, and it's funny because, you know, mm-hmm. I'll quote a line from Tommy boy or I'll quote, quote a line from happy Gilmore or something like that. And a CFO will chuckle. And one of the producers that's with me is like, 
I can't believe you just said that in the sales meeting. I'm like, uh, really? Like, did you not see the guy laugh? But, you know, I think that I think that in the insurance world, we have recognized that people will buy on emotion. I feel like we we tend to try to appeal to the wrong emotion to get the buying behavior to happen. What I mean by that is, you know, to Aaron's point, we can go in with a case study and spreadsheets and we can show this and we can show that. A lot of agents spend a lot of time going through and reviewing coverages to have that gotcha moment with the existing representation to make them look bad or like they're asleep at the wheel. When in all reality, if you just go in and you be yourself and you can make yourself endeared to these people and they can see that you're equally as qualified, but you're actually a little bit more likable and they're going to pick up on the fact that you didn't trash their incumbent agent, you're going to be able to close way more business. But the emotion that we we tend to gravitate to because it, it it's the one that people feel like is the easiest for them to push is the buttons of anger and irritation. They want to show somebody's falling down on the job mm. or they're not getting something that they should get. Don't waste your time doing that. Your client can come to that conclusion on their own. If you talk yes. about yourself, make yourself likable and you can show your solution by telling them a story about how it's worked with other clients, as we've already discussed, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be more successful than the people that are going in and trying to make, make the other guy look bad. I agree. Uh, one of the things that I talk about with people is, you know, this concept of in order for someone to buy from us, they have to, you know, know, like, and trust us. And you asked me earlier, what are some of the mistakes people make? Or Aaron's like, why are the young, younger generation not telling more stories? That belief that you have to get people to know you, causes the behavior of, well, let me push out some facts and figures about me and my company. Let me send you one more piece of information. So I like to flip the script on that and say, let's start with trust. Let's build trust first. It's a gut thing. You know, our gut feeling is fight or flight. Is this a safe email to open? We got a warm introduction from our mutual friend, Brian. All of that builds trust. Are you making eye contact with me? All of that. And then it goes from the gut to the heart, which is what you were talking about, David. Do I like you? There's a whole book out called The Likeability Factor by Tim Sanders. It talks about research that doctors spend more time with patients they like, teachers spend more time with students they like, you're more likely to get promoted if you're liked at the workplace. So we build our likability through showing empathy. I've been in your shoes. I can imagine how scary this is for you or frustrating this is for you. And then gut, heart, and then finally head. And the question that everybody has when they're buying anything is, will this work? For me, it's unspoken. You know, but you said, you said like, you said no trust like, or no I went, like I went, trust. Uh, and now we're going trust. backwards. It's it's trust. Yeah, I want to flip the script instead of no like trust to start with trust, like, and then no. But don't, by the time you get done with trust, won't the person know you and probably like you if they trust you? Well, I feel that building trust is the first foundation. And the way to do that can be through warm introductions, eye contact, being authentic and having that be your entry point that people feel safe, that you're not trying, like what David was saying, that you're not going to do a gotcha moment on them. If they feel that they trust you, then the likability factor comes in when you start expressing the empathy. And then if you can address that unspoken question by telling a story that they see themselves in of this sounds like this would, this policy would work for me. So what you just said is directly out of never split the difference by Chris Voss. I don't know if you've read it or not, but I know him well. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you get into the fact, you know, the, the, the standard for me is to engage in labeling to begin with so that you can keep somebody talking and gather more information. But there comes that point in the conversation where you have to use what he coins tactical empathy to show the other person that you hear and that you understand. Right. And so for me, it depends on the situation you're in. You know, sympathy means you feel sorry for somebody. Empathy means you know what they're going through because you've been through it yourself to a certain degree. And I think that's always the turning point. And that's where the trust starts to happen because you could you could have a 20-second conversation, a 10-second conversation with somebody where they're going to give you an objection and you're going to label them and they're going to give you another one and you're going to label them again. And by the time Mm -hmm. the third one comes, you're going to hit them with, it seems like, it sounds like, it feels like. (laughs) And next thing you know, now they're going to start to bring their barriers down a little bit because like, wow, okay this guy's actually listening to what I have to say. He, yep. he gets yep. it, right? 
and I tell a story a lot about um, a time when I was, I, I tell it almost every time I speak in public, especially if I'm talking about psychology of sales and referencing Voss. But um, it was at my wife's, my wife's job where she had a cocktail party for work. And I told her, I'm like, I really don't want to go to this cocktail party. Like, it's just, I'm not the guy who likes to go work the room. And she knows that I said, so I'm going to go, but I'm going to mirror everybody all night. That's how I'm going to have my conversations. And so for two hours, I went to this cocktail party and I mirrored everybody all night long. Monday morning rolls around and she sends me a Facebook message while she's on her first conference call of the day. And she says, what did you do Friday night? People loved you. They thought you were a great conversationalist. Yeah. She said, what are you, I said, what are you talking about? She said, you were the life of the party, man. Everybody talked about what an interesting person you were. You, you had great conversation with them, all of that. And, you know, the moral of the story and all of that is people find interested people interesting. Yes. And so you don't have to, you know, you don't have to deep dive. You can, you can do simple tactics like mirroring and labeling and, and expressing tactical empathy, all the things Voss talks about in his book and get that, that trust factor from people just by going through and doing basic things. I mean, it's just, to me, it's kind of common sense. If somebody's saying something, you probably need to make eye contact and listen to them <laughs> so that they know that it's registering. And then another natural thing would be to repeat some level of what they said to you back to them. So they know you're receiving their message and you can build yep. trust really, really quickly that way. If you just, if you follow that simple framework, even. Yeah. Active listening was developed in the sixties as a therapeutic tool from therapy. Um, and so if we start applying some of that active listening in our sales situations. I have a saying that I, people really seem to remember and like, which is soft skills make you strong. And people wait, how can something soft make me strong? Your brain goes, what? And that's why it breaks through your brain. Our brains love new ways of looking at something. And the soft skills are listening, empathy, and now storytelling. And if you master all three of those things, you'll have an emotional connection, which will make you strong in your sales career. So you're talking about strong, but you're also, you know, before we started recording, you started talking about being superhuman, right? So talk a little oh, yes. bit about your online community and the ecosystem that you're building with your partner around that. Yes. Well, Andrew Gray, who's known as the former Power Ranger and has been on a reality TV show, came to me after reading my book and said, I really want to help people figure out their own superpower. And so we created something called the superhero you with the letter U. And it's all about helping people realize let's use this world of Marvel comics and power Rangers and figure out what is our own internal superhero so that we're not our own villain. And it's a fascinating way to give people some confidence when they're interviewing for a job, going on a date, whatever the issues are. So that at the end of the day, you're not going on what I call the self-esteem roller coaster. We only feel good if things are going well and your numbers are up and bad if they're not, that you um, realize that your identity is bigger than any one thing happening to you. So that's what we're um, doing and helping people get in touch with that. So we've been going almost an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. What have we missed? I think we've hit the big elements of the three C's of what makes a good storytelling, the four parts of how to tell a good story, and that whoever tells the best story is the one that's going to um, probably get the people to want to work with them as you had described with your own situation. So um, if you're interested in learning how to tell a story, you can even turn your elevator pitch into an elevator story. If you're not going to mirror the whole time and someone does ask you a question like, Hey, tell me about yourself. I have a whole way of helping people turn elevator pitches into elevator stories. And the whole goal there is to intrigue and to say, wow, Aaron, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then you have a conversation instead of a 10 minute monologue. That's cool. So how do they get a hold of you, man? You can go to my website, which is my name, John Livesey, L-I-V is in Victor, E-S-A-Y.com. But if you can't remember any of that, just Google the Pitch Whisperer and all my content shows up. Cool deal. So listen, you have an offer for everybody. And then I'm going to piggyback on that. And I have a, I have a deal for everybody too. So go ahead. I love and it. First. Well, if you take out your phone and you text the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H, 
to 66866. You get the first chapter of my book, The Sale is in the Tale, sent to you for free. And it's a nice way for us to start engaging. So the word is pitch with a P and the number that you text is 66866. Cool deal. And y'all know how this goes on, on Power Producers. We got a dozen copies of The Sale is in the Tale ready to go out to the first 12 people that send me an email address. Now, listen, guys, this is not that hard. And if I'm going to give you a free book, I need you to listen to what I tell you to do. <laughs> Number one, the email address is david at killingcommercial.com. I get emails at every address but that one. I need you to give it to me in that one. And the next thing I need you to do, you don't need to write me any other message other than in the subject line. If you will put the sale is in the tail, I can sort by subject and ship them all at one time. That's wow. the only way this stuff works for us. Okay. Yep. So David at killingcommercial.com subject line. The sale is in the tail <clears throat> and the first dozen people <clears throat> to get me an email. will send you a full copy of the book as quick as we, we can get it out to you. So um, with that being said, Aaron, man, thanks for coming on. I, I, I wish me. you wouldn't dominate the conversation so much. <laughs> no, it's a New Yorker. You can't handle it. You Floridians can't handle the New Yorkers. What do you want from me? <laughs> I'm coming up and putting myself right in the middle of the pressure cooker Friday and Saturday, man. That's it. <laughs> it'll be uh, it'll be a good time, John. I'm taking my wife up to go Christmas shopping in, in New York Friday oh, and Saturday. So. Perfect time of year to go. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I'm looking very much forward to it. I've not gotten to spend much time there. And the one time I did, we took the train from Princeton right outside of where she lives and uh, grew up in New Jersey. And we literally sprinted through everything. <laughs> like I stuck a toe in Central Park. Oh, we wow. almost blew the candles out in St. Patrick's Cathedral. <laughs> we were in and out so fast. So <laughs> It was, it was just, it was, it, her mother laughs about it. So this is also a whirlwind trip, but I have like five things that I've already planned that I want to get done and I can check those mm. off the list. And then next time we can do more. So nice. I, uh, I look forward to immersing myself amongst all the New York that I can get this weekend, Aaron. So it's the Rockefeller center. It's the Saxwith Avenue, all those wonderful places. Yep. hundred yes. percent. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for having me, David. I really yeah, appreciate absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And John, I really appreciate your time. I'm thankful that Brian introduced us. So am and, I. Uh, Thank you. It's been fun. Just look forward to getting connected more and following you online and, and keeping up with everything that you're doing. Likewise. By all means, feel free to reach out if there's any ever anything I can do to help. Oh, I appreciate that. And thanks for your generous offer to give the first 12 people my book. That's really wonderful. Absolutely. Gentlemen, y'all have a good one. Everybody else, we'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.